The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. All right. Good morning, Story City. How are we today? There's like 17 people here, so we're going to go with that. I don't know how many people are online. Hey, thanks, Chris, for introducing. Um, before we get started, I, I did want to pray one more time. Um, the topic today is one that I'm looking for some wisdom from God on how to bring this in a way that is convicting but full of hope. And so I want to talk about that with you guys today. But let's, uh, let's pray real quick. God, we just, we've got Scripture in front of us, so I'm, I'm not afraid to preach what you've said. But I'm desirous for the ears of those who are here to be encouraged, to be convicted, to be brought to where you want them to be. And I ask for that this day. Your name, amen. All right, good morning. So a couple things. Um, we're going to talk about repentance and forgiveness today. And frankly, that topic is tough. Um, let, me, let me escalate this for us for a second here. And I, I thought about this for quite a while, but I, I want to I give ourselves permission to have theology that's deep enough for this subject. So have you ever spilled some water at the table and, and you say, I'm sorry I spilled your water? And we're okay with that, and we move on. Or, or maybe we back into someone. I'm sorry I dented your car, right? Now we're escalating. Now things are getting a little more expensive, right, to resolve on this, right? So I'm sorry I bumped into your car, and you say, you know what? All right, well, our insurance will deal with this, but we're going to move on. But our theology needs to go deeper than that. What about the more difficult ones? I, I'm, sorry I, I'm sorry I hit you. Maybe you're married. I'm sorry I physically hit you. Or two situations I've had to deal with in the past, not for myself, but working with others is, I'm, I'm sorry I tried to pour gasoline on you and catch you on fire. That escalated quickly, didn't it? I'm, I'm sorry I, I fantasized about murdering you in your sleep. That escalated even quicker. Boy, Josh, this Thanksgiving sermon's really going downhill after this. But, but let me ask you this. If our theology of forgiveness and repentance is only this deep, how are we ever going to step into situations that are much more complicated than that? Does that make sense? How do, how do we truly grasp? And then what about this, though? How about forgiveness, right? I don't forgive you. Fine, you knocked over my water. What does that even mean? But what happens when, when things are worse than that? How do we extend forgiveness towards situations that are far more serious than spilled water or dented cars. That's what we want to talk about today in God's Word. But let me ask you this before we even begin that, right? Why, why, does, why is it so hard? Why is repentance and forgiveness so difficult? This isn't simply a topic that people get to, to brush off and say, you know what, I've been able to move on. I've been able to move on from my past, either something I've done or something that's been done to me. It was easy. I moved on. In three easy steps, I was moved on. That's not how we operate. That's not how we work. That's not actually the human experience we all get to have. It's actually very difficult. And let me, let me, just, let me just give you an example of this, right? So as one does around Thanksgiving, I was on Amazon.com, and I knew I was preaching this, so I said, let me see what's being sold on Amazon, Right? If it sells, it's got to be worth something to somebody. So I typed in forgiveness, and here's what you got. Right? Forgive yourself. A book on forgiving yourself. That's an interesting topic. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Forgiving yourself wall art. I love that. If the book wasn't good enough, we're going to give you something to hang on your wall. Right? Forgive yourself these tiny acts of self-destruction. 
find that title to be interesting in and by itself. Forgive your parents. Heal yourself. Forgive your enemies. Forgive your enemies clothing line. I like that one in particular, right? If it wasn't enough to forgive them, you want them to know by wearing the hoodie that says I forgive you, right? Forgive yourself jewelry. Forgive yourself journals. And then I typed in repenting. There's a far less items sold on Amazon around the concept of repentance. But here's what came up. Repenting your generational bloodline. That's an interesting topic. Repenting from your religion. There is a remarkable amount of material on repenting from your religion, which I found interesting. And then, of course, if it's not Amazon, repenting apparel and shirts you can buy. Again, I'm not sure which way that went. But the reality is we're not very good at handling guilt and sin and hurt done to us. I think at the core of it, our hearts cry for reconciliation. So think about this for a moment. Reconciliation is the bringing together of things that were broken. Bringing together things that were broken. Our heart longs for healing, especially when we don't believe that it can be done. This is so broken. This is so misunderstood. This is so hurtful. There is nothing that can heal this again. Right? Our hearts long for reconciliation, a bringing together of things that were once broken. You see, and this is, this is just, a, uh, for some reason, 2020 and, and COVID and viruses, it, it produces a lot of marriages in our church. We've had five this year that Megan and I did the premarital counseling for. And what's interesting about this is that we do eight sessions with everyone. One of the sessions is entirely dedicated to repentance and forgiveness. Why do you think that's so important for a marriage to understand? Well, let me tell you a couple things. When you understand what those words mean, and we're going to talk about that today, it brings healing, it brings hope, it brings restoration into the hardest things a marriage can face. And if you don't understand that, guess what happens? You get the other fruits, bitterness, anger, guilt, resentment, frustration, and those undermine quickly a marriage. But not just a marriage, right? Churches, societies, friendships. Maybe you have a friendship right now. That that is what's suffering. It's not reconciled. It's been broken. It's been pulled apart. It's been hurt. Maybe it's children. Maybe your children have been hurt. Maybe you've hurt them. So I want to preach about this this morning. And I'm going to use Psalm 51. But before I do that, I want to take two moments and and just kind of walk through something real fast. Things that I'm, I'm aware of and sensitive of. I understand that in 30 minutes, we are not going to put the cherry on top of the ice cream on all this. Repentance and forgiveness is a process. And for some, it is years. I understand that. I do not want to accuse or make anyone feel as if somehow in 30 minutes, you should get to a place in your heart where you can extend forgiveness. I don't want that, actually. I don't want pithy forgiveness. I don't want pithy repentance. And so we understand that and as God works in our hearts, he will move us in these directions. And we want to get there. But I understand we may not get there very quickly or very easily. So I want to be sensitive to that. I also recognize that this topic may bring up hurt. I'm always aware of that, right? You start poking around at a church our size and you're going to inevitably hurt. And I do recognize that part of what I'm going to cover today will poke at some of this pain. And I'm just asking you permission to allow me to be hopefully a gentle physician and to poke around and to see if there's some hurt there that we can try to heal. So here's what I want to do. If you have your Bibles, and hopefully behind me on the screen or on the screen on the television, you should be able to have Psalm 51. I want to read this psalm, the first, let's see what we got here, first 12 verses of this, and we're going to study these quickly together. 
Psalm 51 says this, For the music director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithfulness. According to the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me some from my sin. For I know my wrongdoings and my sin is constantly before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in guilt, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the secret places you will make wisdom known to me. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Cleanse me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and wipe out all my guilty deeds. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. You see, this is a Psalm of David. Some of you may know this story. Some of you may not. I'm going to tell it to you in a second here. David actually wrote most of the Psalms in our Bible. But here's the reality. This Psalm was written specifically to God after David, who was the king, had abused his leadership by abdicating his job. And then he saw another man's wife that was not his. He sent for her. And the best way we can describe it is he had his way with her. We don't know if it was full out rape or something else. And then he arranged to have her husband murdered so that he could take her for herself ease his conscience, and cover up the intimate pregnancy that he had caused. The Bible doesn't hold back, does it? Those examples I gave before were not that far off. When the Bible teaches about repentance and forgiveness, it doesn't take petty theft. It takes David in this situation and says, here's how we're going to learn repentance and forgiveness. Because if your theology can't deal with this, then we have no hope to offer others who are desperately caught in their sins. And here's the deal. David stayed where he was in this situation until a man of God named Nathan came to him and confronted him about his sin. See, in our modern thinking, David would have been a poster child for the Me Too movement, wouldn't he? Maybe even worse. The cover-up and total abuse of power would have been shocking. And here's the thing. David would have been pro-life, but he certainly didn't act that way, did he? when you start murdering other people's husbands to hide your sin, you are going to be very much outside of the lines of pro-life. You'd have been a pro-choice, murdering, potentially rapist. But this was the same man who penned this psalm, so we need to be able to reconcile. How does this work? So verse 6 says this, and we're going to start here because the first several verses are all about repentance, and I want to walk us through what is repentance and what makes up true biblical repentance. And then the last half, we'll talk about forgiveness. What is true biblical forgiveness and what models or what does good biblical forgiveness look like? So here we have Psalm 51 verse 1 says this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithfulness, according to the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my wrongdoings. See, here we see that David starts or addresses God first and foremost. See, our repentance begins there. It doesn't begin 
outside of that. It begins with God. See, God is the one who made us and makes the rules that we live our life. See, here's the thing. Kings at the time would have said, you make the rules. You see what you want, you go get it. You are the king, you make the rules. And here David begins something very different. You see, David from the beginning of repentance is aligning his heart to his proper place under God. That's what he recognizes. He says, God, you are the king. And because you make the moral rules, I need to align myself to that. So his prayer to God is first and foremost a humbling of himself under who God is. Second point, David acknowledges that it is God who he needs. Do you notice repentance isn't God? Can we just walk away and be done with this? Can we just sweep this under the rug? Can we just pretend like this didn't happen? Can we just agree to move on? No, David asks for something. He asks for God to show up. But if you watch carefully, he asks for God to show up very specifically. He says, there's three things, God, I want you to bring with you, which is part of your character. I need you here. My repentance starts with you, and I need you to show up. But I need you to come in three ways. And these are the ways. He asks God to come in his faithfulness. God, I haven't been faithful, but you are faithful. And I need you to be faithful to this moment. Second thing, he asks for God's greatness. God, I need you to show up and I need you to be the great God, the powerful God that is stronger than my sin. Third thing is compassion. God, I need you to show up with all this, but I need it to be in a, with a heart that is for me, not a heart that is against me. So from the very beginning of repentance, David postures himself with this desire. This is, God, I need you to step into this and I need you to step in with your character. See, repentance starts with a posture of humbleness. And it's before God. I wonder sometimes if that's part of our problems, right? Are we that different than David? Are we that different than David where we want to be able to be king? And have your microphone changed? Yes. All right, now I've got two things to yell out. So this is great. Thank you, Andy. He's our choir director today. So here we have... Isn't it often the case that our repentance struggles because in reality, it's difficult to admit that God, you are moral and just. So let's look at verses two through four real quick. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin for I know my wrongdoings and my sin is constantly before me. Against you I have sinned and done evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Here David uses terms that we often find missing in our repentance. He calls what he did sin which is against God, wrongdoing and evil. He doesn't hold back on that. See, David recognizes this is an issue of morality. When we choose our own path and tell God, no, we will do what we want. We're sinning and we're breaking God's law. By using the language that God uses, David acknowledges that God is right. Not only is God right, but God is right to speak into his life and speak justly. Do you see all that in the passage? He's going, God, you're right. What I have done is not a mere discretion, not a mere mistake. It is wrong. It is morally wrong. And it's evil. See, repentance needs to acknowledge that God's word is right and that he has a right to speak with authority into our life. So we're agreeing with God's view on the situation. And he recognizes that God's judgment is right, good, and applied correctly to him. There hasn't been a mistake. 
David's saying, you're right. God, everything you say about what I've done is true, right, and correct. You see, David had done the moral math in his head and recognized that he stands guilty. This is actually the main reasons we struggle with repentance, isn't it? We aren't actually ready or willing to admit to the depth of what we've done. We love to sugarcoat it, don't we? It was a bit of a mistake. I get it. I'll do better next time. All of this surface repentance doesn't actually get to the heart. And you could feel it here in the passage, right? How do we get to there? So here David brings up two more things, and I want to talk about this. He, the thing that's been dogging him as well is his guilt. Look at the passage above. It says, for I know my wrongdoing and my sin is constantly before you. Have you ever felt that way? Have you felt the guilt of sin burden your heart? Can I offer this to you that that's a gift? The world works so hard to get rid of guilt. And as Christians, we do as well. And we have the best answer. We have the only answer for guilt. But guilt is there to move us. See, guilt is a conscience that's working. And it's saying something is off. Something's wrong. You need to move. Because we also know from Scripture that sin is dangerous. So sin is dangerous. And our guilt is saying, do not stay here. You need to find resolution from this sin. Does that make sense? So our guilt is there to drive us. And we're going to talk about where it's going to drive us. But right now, David even asks this thing. He says, I know this. And, and my sin and my guilt is before me. You see, we were made for relationship with God. And our sin breaks that and we feel that. So often what you're feeling, that guilt is, is a separation, right? Of the relationships we have in life, but also our relationship with God. If you're married, or if you've got kids, if you've got friends, if you're a human being on the planet, you know what it's like to have a relationship that breaks. And you recognize that brokenness. We often recognize it horizontal, but our sin also breaks it vertical with who God is. And so here David again is saying, God, I know this is broken and I feel it and I feel it every day. And there's no matter of things I can do in my life to distract myself of the reality that I'm broken vertically with you. This relationship is broken vertically. And in this repentance, he asks God to do something. And this is the beginning of the pivot that David is beginning to have. He says this, wash me thoroughly from my guilt. See, here's what's interesting, and I find this passage to be amazing. See, David recognizes something. He recognizes that God needs to do the cleaning. See, again, this is to God. God, would you wash me from my guilt? Maybe David, like us, has tried to clean ourselves, right? We've got our, we've got our favorite collection of self-cleaning tools, right? Maybe you're still at the rag phase where you're just gently scrubbing the challenges and hurt and sin in your life. I can clean this up. I've got us. Maybe you're at the sponge. Maybe you're all the way to the bristle brush, right? And you have scrubbed as hard as you can at your life, trying to make clean something you will never do. David gets there. Most people believe this, this psalm was written a year after all of this happened. Imagine that year. How much attempt at cleaning and ridding himself of the guilt of his own heart. How shallow must church have been? How empty must the singing have been? See, David wasn't just the king. He also led the, 
the country in worship. How could he do that? And here he is, finally getting to the place in repentance that says, God, I cannot clean this. Unless you show up, I will remain dirty. You must show up and you must clean me. See, our good works do not mean repentance. So how many times does Jesus deal with this, right? Deep down inside, we know we might be able to polish the outside. But if we're honest, the inside isn't clean. Jesus makes this point often and encourages, demands that we stop playing church and that we get honest with repentance. Psalm 51, God left us Psalm 51 not to have somebody go, here's how to polish your outside nice and neat. This is a, again, somebody who's murdered, raped, and hurt. And God goes, that's, can we be honest like that? And Jesus comes and says, stop washing, polishing the outside of yourself. And this actually gets us in trouble a little bit at Story City. Let me, let me, let me just give you a little, little background on this. So it's actually funny, right? So people come to us sometimes and says, how could you let so-and-so be a leader at church? How could you leave them the microphone? Don't you know their past? You know what the answer to that is? Yes, we know their past. And more importantly, we know that they know what repentance is. And we know that they know what forgiveness is. Because when they open their mouth, guess what they're going to do? They're going to point people to Christ. Because that's where their repentance, and that's where their forgiveness came from. And so, yes, Story City, that is how we are going to do church. We don't want polished exteriors and broken interiors. Those don't point people to Christ. They end up writing books that I find on Amazon, right? How to polish your outside in three easy steps. If you have that book, please bring it to me. I will buy it from you and exchange that for a much better book. And then I will burn your book privately, but I will not tell you about it until afterwards. So you get my point. We want people that can go, like David going, I know what it means to be honest with God all the way to the bottom. And then we're going to talk about forgiveness here in a second. And he knows what forgiveness is. He lives out of both. So I define repentance as this. Repentance is agreeing with God's view of the problem and the aftermath. Do you see that? God's problem, I agree with you, God. I see the problem, and you are right. I see the sin, I see the evil, and I also understand that all this pain and suffering that has now erupted from this, the aftermath, I understand that too. And I understand your judgment on this. So here's five things that make for biblical repentance. And these should be up on the screen here in a second here. Our repentance should model these. I'm willing to admit my part. What I have done is evil and sinful. I'll have no excuses and a willingness to be honest. You see that? Second, I will be clear and specific of what I've done. I won't hide anything. I won't repent of only what has been found out. You see that as well? Here's what's interesting. Nathan was the one who came to David. He was the prophet. He was the pastor. He had a hard job. Go tell the king <laughs> he's really in deep trouble and that what he's done is awful. That's a hard job of a pastor. But he went and he did it. And he said, David, this is a problem here. And David, we need to go all the way down. We can't just stop it. What do you know, Nathan? Do you know about all of this? Three, I'm willing to own and acknowledge the hurt I've caused others. Four, I'm willing to accept the consequences that may come from my sin. 
Five, we are willing to make changes and live in accountability to pursue God and reject our sins. See, it's not just, well, I did it again, whoops, and then I do it again, whoops, and then I do it again, whoops, God, I'm so glad, I'm repenting like crazy, this is great, this is easy, I've got this down, i got all the words, and I just keep going. See, accountability, repentance also acknowledges going, I need help. This is why we live in community. This is why you have community groups. This is why you have others in your life to say, this is a problem and I need help. I need people to point me to a better truth. I need people to point me to a better truth and I need people to help me. That's part of repentance. Not just merely going, I'm sorry we did that. But the psalm doesn't end here. And here's how Dave pivot, David pivots to forgiveness. See, we can't just live in repentance because that that's not a resolved state. Right? That's still sitting there in this whole, God is right and I am in terrible trouble. That is not how God wants us to resolve. Remember when I said that we're made for relationships. Sin separates us. Forgiveness is the other half of this. And frankly, let me just be clear. Forgiveness is outrageous. Forgiveness doesn't make sense. If you have forgiveness night and neat packaged up, you've got it wrong. Here he says, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and wipe out my guilty deeds. Here David asks for four outrageous things and I want to read them to you. He asks to be clean from the inside out. He again hands all the cleaning supplies back to God and says, I want, not only am I allowing, I want you to do the cleaning. Because when you clean, guess what? I will be viewed as pure and white and clean. He's asking for his heart to be clean, not just a neutral. He doesn't want just neutral. He also asked that God would give him a heart that wants to pursue him again in that passage. God, I want you to change my heart fundamentally from a one that isn't just in guilt, but I want it to be one that pursues you. So forgiveness starts with with understanding that this is an outrageous ask and one that is in God's heart. He asked for his guilt, his lack of joy to be taken away. He wanted his heart to feel and experience the relationship with God and others again. The heart of forgiveness of God is a restoration of that relationship. He wants God not to remember or hold him guilty for what he's done. Here's the challenging part. He was guilty. How could he ask this question? God, I want you to tell me I'm not guilty. That's what he asked God. He has the audacity to ask God, can you not just hide it, but can you change the verdict so that I am not guilty? We're going to talk about how that happens. He asks, no, he demands God do life with him as his fourth point. He wants to live this out. And here's where we need to see the gospel. See, the reality is, is that Romans says that the wages of sin is death. So we understand that our sin is a problem and that God's character of holiness and justice is meaning, he's, he's, meaning that he is without sin, that's holy. And his justice means he cannot allow immoral or unright things to occur. And that gives us hope. That gives those who have been hurt and abused great hope that their God is not a God of injustice. He's a God of justice. He will be just in this. So each of us has stood in the courtroom of God. So the reality is we're all David. And unless we understand our own forgiveness, we will never be able to extend it to someone else. We've all stood in that courtroom of God and we've all heard a perfect and righteous God read the list of our sins and after each one, he's uttered the word guilty. And we know in our heart that that is right. But the story doesn't end here. 
And here's where it gets completely outrageous, church. In that courtroom, the perfect son of God, Jesus, stands up and says, I will pay for those sins. Not a sweep under the rug. Not a, we're just going to ignore this and go have beers and walk away. I will pay for them. And the problem is, is that the cost of that sin is extreme. It is the life. It is one life. The, the, our sin costs one life. And Jesus says, I can, it'll be my life. The Bible tells us that he does this out of a great love for us. We love John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But the reality is we weren't cute little bunny rabbits running around just dying to be adopted at the store. We're awful sinners in guilt. And God steps in and says, I love you. And I want that restored. I want our restoration. See, but that's not where the story ends, right? So the Bible tells us that our great love for us and a desire to restore a relationship, Jesus took our payment, which was death, and died on the cross as a payment for our sins. And with his death, our sins are, ready? Killed and crushed to death. See, we need our sins killed and crushed to death. We don't think them released back into the wild. And that's what happens at the cross. See, we're all Davids. And until you realize you're a David too, you will never be able to extend forgiveness. God has accepted the payment. Church, isn't this the greatest thing? This is how we can do hard things. This is why we can say your story's welcome here. Not the nice, neat stories. Not the stories that make us happy. But the hard ones. See, David asked for a relationship with God again. Here's how I define forgiveness. Forgiveness is asking for God, for asking for and believing God's solution for our sin. You hear that again? Let me read that again. Forgiveness is asking for and believing God's solution for our sins. See, Jesus paid for our sins at great cost and our sin was crushed to death on the cross and that God's view as a holy and righteous God and we are restored to relationship with him. So in our lives, when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, this is what we're asking. We too are lifting up the voice of David. So why is forgiveness so hard? And I'm going to end here with this. There's two things. We have trouble receiving our own forgiveness. And there's two parts of this. And I'm going to go after that one book that I mentioned, Forgiving Yourself. That is not what we need. We don't need to forgive ourselves. What we need is the faith to believe God's promise and his work done for us that our sins are crushed to death. We don't need more of ourself in forgiveness. We need more faith to believe that God's solution is applied to us. And we are viewed as holy and right and pure and good. And we need to live out a life of that. It's also hard because of pride. We like to think we have a part in this. I'll do half the scrubbing, God, you do the other half. You can scrub your whole life and you won't be able to. We need to receive God's forgiveness in humility. It's also tough to forgive others. Here's the reality. Can we be honest for a second here? We sometimes don't want God's solution applied to them. We want punishment for the other person, don't we? Vengeance 
That's not God's heart for us or for his creation. We need to at least ask God to give us his heart for the situation. It's also hard because our sense of justice often lacks mercy, right? Justice says they're guilty and we stop there, but we never adopt God's part on mercy and grace to say, yes, you are right. We have a just God, but how does mercy and grace flow in here? Can I begin to learn to imitate who God is in his mercy and grace for us? And here's the last, here's the, here's the third one. We're not modeling how God treats us. And here's, here's what models good repent, or sorry, good forgiveness, right? There's five things. I want to read them real quick to you. One, a desire to apply God's solution to the sin done to you. So my desire, my heart of forgiveness to someone who comes to me and says, would you please forgive me is, is a heart that says, yes, I want God's solution applied to your sin. I want you to go to the cross. And that's where I want God's solution applied to your sin. And I will not choose to block you from receiving that, right? Third, we make a choice not to keep score. This is the whole concept of hiding your face, right? When God says he hides his face, he's not like, he's not lost his memory. He's saying, I'm choosing not to use this as part of what I'm gonna hold against you. So if you're married, <laughs> Can we stop at point three for a second? Don't keep score. It's not a heart of forgiveness and it will eat bitterness into your heart. Number th four, I will, not, I will choose not to allow my mind to play it over and over again, right? This is an internal remembrance. God says, I will not remember anymore. I'm not going to live out my relationship to you from a position of you are still guilty and wrong. I'm going to live out a new relationship with you. And I'm not going to replay over and over again. And last, I will not bring this up again. My choice to not bring this and tell others, it's part of forgiveness. That's the idea of restoration, right? Hey, my, my wife, my husband, my child, my friend did such and such. I forgave him, but let me tell you what he did. See, church, repentance and forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. And we as a church, if we don't live this out, we don't have anything to share. All we can tell you is how to maybe polish a few of your warts and wiggles. See, repentance and forgiveness is, is where two sinners meet at the cross. Here's the reality. This is what I love about this. Is, is when you take someone who has sinned and someone who needs to forgive and you basically escort them and walk them and say, can we meet at the cross? Because at the cross is where the sin is crushed to death and forgiveness is shown, my own forgiveness, which allows me to extend that to you and say, I want to live out how Christ lived himself out for you. See, that's repentance and that's forgiveness. Let me ask you this. If we believe that repentance and forgiveness is the heart of the gospel, or the heart of the gospel, is there some gospel work we need to do? Is there someone in your life who right now you're recognizing this isn't what we've done? We have work to do. We have work to do in modeling proper repentance. Work to do in modeling proper forgiveness. Josh, what about the person in my past who I never want to talk to, who will never, has never asked me forgiveness? What do I do with that? Well, this all still holds true. A heart of forgiveness is not one that necessarily ever makes contact again, maybe. 
But a heart of forgiveness says that my heart's desire is that that sin that was done to me is crushed to death at the cross. And that somehow, some way, God, you would make newness out of the hurt that's been done to me. Do you see that? You see how even a heart of forgiveness can be modeled in some of the most difficult situations where you may never see or choose to see someone again in life. But our heart is that God would crush that sin to death at the cross, just like he did for us. And here's my last point. Notice the very intro said for the music director, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. That's actually the official title. That is what David wrote. And he handed it to Andy and said, Andy, we're going to sing this song about my murderous, adulterous rapism. I find the title itself shocking. Here David goes, guys, we're going to sing about God because this points to his repentance and this points to his forgiveness. And we as a church need to understand that. So the reality is we need to make sure we tell good stories. Our pasts are stories that reek of the gospel when we understand repentance and forgiveness. And we need to learn to tell them well. Not for our own sake, but for the sake of the fact that we get to show off the gospel and show off who God is. That's all I've got. I'm going to pray. Andy's been strumming along over here nicely. Um, and then I'll be done. God, we just thank you for a psalm that does not hold back the characters, the problems, the sin, the challenge, and yet begins to show us what repentance looks like and begins to show us your forgiveness that is the central theme of the gospel, that you came, Jesus, not just to die for lovely people, but to die for evil sinners who need desperately to have their sin crushed to death at the cross so that they might live new relationship with you and others. I pray that you'd bless us as a church.